All right, so Father, we thank you that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. God, we can cast our cares upon you. We can make our requests known unto you. And God, you you have mercy upon us. And so, God, we thank you so much. And and um, God, I thank you for Veronica. Uh, she's like the one person who wants to be here but can't. And uh, Lord, thank you so much for her, for that heart. And we do pray for her. We pray for Randy. Also, Lord, that you would just enable, uh, Lord, enable them through working with their boss, you know, to, to get them here. And Lord, they want to be a part of what you're doing. And so we just ask for that. And we thank you for that. Lord, for the health issues, uh, for the grief, um, loss, Lord, that people, God, would and grace would you sustain your people would you give us health and wellness so that we can serve you with our lives and god that would be a blessing to us and and lord if you would rather your grace be sufficient and in our weakness your strength is made perfect then we just say yes lord thank you but lord would you change our hearts to to have that attitude where god whatever it takes have the spirit of your power resting upon us. If that takes weakness in our flesh, then, then Lord, we want what you want. We trust you for it. God, it's uh, so good to be here. And there's so many who don't know you. They don't know the word. They, they don't know how to move forward in their faith. They're doing the best they can. They're trying as hard as they can, but Lord, life's just not working out and they don't know where to turn. And God, thank you so much that you've brought us to a place where we actually have answers from your word that we can turn to. And God, we ask for our time together in the word that you would anoint it, bless it, give us hearts to receive it. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we played pickleball on Friday. That was a good time. And uh, I think there were seven of us that played pickleball. Um, it was so fun. I, I want to promote it. So to promote it, I thought I'd I'd come up with pickleball names for the guys that showed up. There was um, Keith. Uh, let's see, trash talk Keith Lieber. So Keith only made two good shots all night. But he followed him up with, in your face. He's like flexing on everybody. Mike, uh, can he cut? <laughs> okay, all right. Nick, the Greek dive shot. Nick was like on the ground, tried to make saves. So uh, Dennis, not tennis, Gracier. Vernell, he's always right. Aaron, the old rugged cross. I thought those could be like our pickleball monikers that we could use uh, next time. No, it was really good. It was really fun. I don't think anyone, like we came injured for the most part, but I don't think anybody made anything worse while we were there. So, so as far as I know, it was a good time. So, yeah. So anyway, we're in Ruth um, chapter four. So open your Bibles to Ruth chapter four. And we'll take a look at, at this. What we saw last 
week. Last week, we are in Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Okay? And what we saw in those passages, Boaz and Ruth get married, and they live happily ever after. That's like, that's like how this story turns out, and it's just blessing for everybody in love all the way around. It is like the happily ever after story of Scripture. And, and what we saw, Ruth is like every Hallmark movie ever, right? And we saw Ruth going from being a complete stranger alienated from the covenants of God. She, she was from Moab. She was not an Israelite, but, but she went from being a complete stranger to Boaz, who's the Lord of the harvest, the kinsman redeemer. So here's this destitute refugee widow. Okay. And then she, she meets Boaz. She's working in the field. And so she's just serving and then uh, she surrenders. She lays down at his feet because Naomi said, go lay down at his feet and just do whatever he says. <laughs> okay. I'd have been like, eh, I don't know. Right? But, but Naomi does it. She just surrenders to the Lord of the harvest. Becomes his bride. Now she's not serving in the field anymore. Everything that is is now hers. She's a co-heir. She's married to Boaz. And then there's fruit that comes of that. They, they reproduce and they have, they have Obed. And, and what we saw last week, that love story, the greatest story ever, why, why, that's why it's every Hallmark movie ever, is because it's the greatest story ever. That story is an allegory. Okay, an allegory is different than a parable. Okay, a parable, like those people didn't really exist. It's someone's telling story to make a point okay an allegory like there really was a person named ruth and it really was a person named boaz but their story is also a lesson for you and i so the allegory for us is that we just like ruth we have kind of a way forward so come to the next slide for me so we oh no you got to go out of this that's his face slide go no you got to exit completely out Hit exit. Okay, exit out of that right there. Okay, and then you kind of come down here and pick up pick up uh, one of the starting. He's gonna it should be there. It's on the it's on the desktop. He's gotta start the other part. It's a separate part. So exit out of yeah, it should go be go to try this one here. The uh, that one didn't work, Patrick. So there it is, right there. Oh, and then once you get that up, go to the second slide for me. So what I saw was was the allegory for us. Okay, so Ruth just went through this series of progressive steps in her relationship with Boaz until she went from being a complete stranger—that's you being lost—to being married to him, and that's you having an abiding relationship with the Lord. Okay, it's like being married with someone. You have a companion now that you share life with. So go to slideshow and then go from the beginning. Nope. Right here. From, no, you're getting there from the beginning. That's fine. I'll just hit the next. Okay, right here. Stop. Nope. Go back. Right there. Freeze. Woohoo! Okay. 
Just like Ruth, we have a series of progressive steps. So I can look at that and I can remember when I was saved. And now all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus Christ is not a stranger to me. He's my Savior. I know him as Savior. Now, I don't know him as Lord yet. I don't know him as provider, but I know him as Savior. And that's awesome. But then after I began to serve the Lord, I got involved in ministry at my local church. And now all of a sudden, my head is thinking about what others need. And I'm praying for others. And, 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 it's not, and now all of a sudden, I start to get to know him as just a Savior, kind of a co-laborer, if you will. Then there's a point at which we surrender our will to the Lord. And that's where we get grace and peace multiplied. As he starts to, to have his way in our lives, we know him as Lord. When we cease from our own works, okay, that's when we get to know him as provider. And then finally, we abide with him. And that's where we, our focus is no longer on I'm saved. And I'm still, I still know him as Savior. But we can progress through. And what we did at the end of last week, it's like, hey, find yourself in here. Where are you? Are you here? If so, you need to get saved. Are you here? Well, if so, then get involved. Sign up to serve. If, if you need to surrender to the Lord, you're like, oh, I don't even know what that means. Well, then that's where you are. There is a next step. And it's not about like getting a badge, like a merit badge. It's not getting something checked off. It's not a pin in your cap. It's you growing in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we looked at last week. And that took us 17. Now this week we are in verses 18 through 22. So let's read those together. Okay. I'll read it out loud. Now these are the generations of Pharaoh. Pharaoh begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. And Ram begat Aminadab. And Amminadab begat Nation, Nation begat Salmon, Salmon begat Boaz, Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. What a weird way to end the book of Ruth. This is like one of those things, if you're just reading through scripture, you read this wonderful story, this lovely little story, okay? A bright spot in dark times, the book of Ruth. And then all of a sudden, closes with, with this weird thing. Now, so we end the book with a genealogy that ends with David. Now, 1 Timothy 1, 3-5, okay, says we're not to give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. So we could sit around and smoke a pipe and get in our leather chairs and 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 then we could spend all our time arguing about genealogies right we're not we're warned against that now that's not what this is and the reason why we can study out this genealogy and not violate first timothy chapter 1 verses 5 through 8 is because it's five is because this is not an endless genealogy genealogy ends with Okay, Obed begat Jesse, Jesse begat David. Now, we have already covered the weird connection between the book of Ruth and Genesis 38. So I'm not going to re-go through all that right now. But just as a reminder, go to the next slide for me. 
in Genesis 38, if you write out the passage in Hebrew, okay, and then you get your, your magic, like your decoder ring, okay, and you start doing what they call interval uh, sequencing. And so you start counting letters. Like, well, if we count every third letter, does that spell anything? Okay, if we count every fourth letter, does that spell anything? And so they do skip sequencing. You skip a bunch of letters, does it spell anything? This is the whole thing. Okay, now I'm not into Bible codes. I don't read Bible codes. I'm not into, but this is so cool because in Genesis 38, the topic of Genesis 38 is Judah's son who died because he was wicked and then his brother is supposed to raise up a child in his name in his deceased brother's name so that the that family name won't be lost in the, in the inheritance of the land the lever marriage if you will okay he did he he just he spilled it on the ground and God killed him for it because he disobeyed. Okay, so Genesis 38 is a weird chapter. You're reading along in Genesis, and you're reading about all the patriarchs, and you got this really weird story about Judah and Tamar and how Perez and his twin brother are born out of wedlock. He's a, he's, he's, he's a bastard. He's born out of wedlock. And then that's what Genesis 38 is about. But encoded in Genesis 38, if you count every 49th letter, Okay, it spells out Boaz, and in that same section overlapped is Ruth. Now, that could be coincidence, right? There's got to be some level at which that could be coincidence, except for, go on to the next slide for me. I know you can't read this, but Genesis 38, this weird passage about the failed kinsman redeemer, okay, which concludes with the birth of Perez, has Boaz, Ruth, Obed, Jesse, and David in chronological order, in, if you will, in the Hebrew uh, text. Okay. Now, as you're reading through Ruth, of Ruth ends with the generations of Perez, which takes you where? To Genesis chapter 38, which encoded in there. So it, th this is way beyond the scope of, of just coincidence. Anyway. What we see then, let's go to the next for me, okay? We see this ends with David. Now, that's super cool that, that she's the great, great, whatever, grandma of David. But what's even cooler is that the genealogy leads to Christ. Okay, so I've got the genealogy in Ruth chapter 4. So we've got Ruth over here. And we read all about Ruth, okay? In Ruth 1, 1 through 4, 17, we read all about Ruth and, and Boaz and, and uh, baby Obed and all their lives. Naomi's in there. We read all about that, what we've been studying for 30 weeks now, if you can believe that. Okay, so that's Ruth 1. And then, and then we saw really, though, all of this, all of what we've been studying with Ruth is really just right. It's kind of like just a blow up of, of this little portion 
of this bigger picture, this bigger genealogy, which goes all the way from Perez all the way down to David. Okay. However, even more cool than that, if we go to Luke chapter 3, and whose genealogy do we see in Luke ch chapter 3? Jesus. So it starts, and Jesus himself began to be 30 years of age, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. And then it ends up the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Okay, so Luke chapter 3 will take will, will take us all the way, like, like Jesus, if we want to put him up here, all the way to Adam. Now, I highlighted in the middle for you, David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, which goes all the way to the son of Perez. So kind of maybe in the bottom, beginning the bottom third of this, all of this is really just like if we are going to list out all those names, what we'd find is these 10 generations are just a little portion of really the lineage all the way from Adam to Jesus. You guys see that with me so far? Okay. So, the genealogy end of the book of Ruth, what's it there for? Okay, here's, here's part of it at least. It's there to let us know that Ruth's story, awesome as it is, in and of itself, is actually the, a part of a bigger story. Okay, and, and I think that's kind of what we need to to think about. Um, so can you imagine Ruth? So I don't know, Jesse had seven or eight sons. Okay, David was the youngest. All right, and so I don't know how long Ruth lived in here, if she lived long enough to for, for David to be born or not. Okay, we don't know that, but I know, she didn't know probably that she was in the line of King David, right? Because he wasn't a king for a long time. He's just out watching the sheep as the youngest son. But I just imagine Ruth getting to heaven. Just so roll with me. You're like uh, Abraham's book. No, okay, I know, I know. But just just for the sake of illustration, I just imagine Ruth getting to heaven. She's like, whoa. And all of a sudden she notices there's some people over there and they're like, they're like whispering about her. Ruth would be like, what? Okay, Ruth's like, what's going on? Like, what I do? Am I okay? Am I, am I going to be accepted here maybe? Someone comes up to her and says, Ruth, you don't know, do you? you she's like, oh no. I'm a Moabitess. Oh no, my my first marriage, you know, I was a widow and I was a refugee. You know, she's thinking like, am I going to be okay? You know, I remarried. It was Boaz. He said it was okay. And, and they'd be like, oh no, Ruth, you don't understand. You, you don't see it, do you? She's like, well, I guess not. And then they open the book because she didn't know. She just lived her life, right? And she was a virtuous woman. She worked to make the right choices. We love that about the story, story of Ruth. But then someone, okay, thy word 
forever is established in heaven. So someone's just like Ruth. Let me show you something. Open your Bible to Judges. She's like, okay, I don't know what that is, but okay, Judges. And then it's like, the book of Ruth. Could you imagine getting to heaven and then at the time of the great reveal? It's like, Ruth, your, your life, the decisions you made, they're all written down. And you were a part of bringing about the establishment of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of David. Could you imagine that day? What a, woo, what a revelation. What a thing. And then, of course, what goes through our mind is like, oh, like if I didn't know that, I probably wouldn't have said that. Probably wouldn't have done that, right? Okay, but what a thing. The decisions that Ruth made, the choices she made, they made her a part of God's plan. So, so let's look at this passage just from a historical, from a, a doctrinal, from a practical standpoint quickly. See if we can't end up with some time to, to discuss this in our small groups. But from a historical standpoint, what we have is that there's 10 generations from Pharaoh to David. Now, why is that number 10 generation significant? I'll give you a hint. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2. Anybody? A bastard, someone who's born out of wedlock, cannot enter into the congregation that is public worship for 10 generations. That was. Okay. Pharaoh, Hezron, Ram, Abinadab, Nation, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David's the 10th generation. Okay, so 10 generations are listed from Pharaoh to now David is the one in that family who can enter into the, the public worship. One thing we see historically, so, so historically, the, the, here they are. These are the guys. This is the, the lineage that happens there. The book of Ruth bridges a gap, okay? So we have the time of Judges, okay? And then we have First and Second Samuel, Okay, so what was the time of judges like? There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, how did God view that? Here, go slide for me. In those, go back. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Ding, 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 ding. That's like perfect. Okay. Judges 21, 25. In that day, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, that's fine for all those people who are running around doing what they think is right. Here's the problem with the time of Judges. Go to the next slide. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were doing what was right in their eyes. They're like, look, I'm just doing what's right for me, my truth. Ooh, the problem is sometimes your truth is on the side of the Lord. And the question really is, what do you say? What do you think? Okay. 
So I just got a few of these. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. There's like, that's like the whole book of Israel. It's just the same cycle. So you can go on to the next slide. We don't have to read them all. <laughs> okay. No, no king. Evil. Lord. Now, what happens in First and Second Samuel? The, okay, the kingdom is established. Now, how they went about it wasn't great. Ruth historically bridges this gap between the time there's no king, everyone's doing what's right in their eyes, but it's evil in the sight of the Lord, to the place where the kingdom is established. The book of Ruth covers this, it, including that genealogy, which says, which ends with King David. Now, isn't it interesting that it ends with, with David? Who was the first king of Israel? Paul. That wasn't God's king. Okay, that was man's king, and God allowed it. God will not run over your free will. Hey, this is the guy king god's like oh you guys and they're like no we want him god's like okay hey let me know how that works out for you and then the king after god's own heart david now now on your handout here um in hebrew david is like this okay dalit Dov, dalit they leave out they leave out the vowels. Okay, sometimes people put a little yod in there, like you could spell it a couple different ways. But that's David, D-V-D, kind of. David is how you spell that. And so that's that's the king that we're introduced to. It's the kingdom of David. Now, why, why do we care about that? Well, we'll come back to it around as we compare scripture to scripture and see what God is, is trying to show us there. So doctrinally, Okay, so doctrinally, if you haven't been with us through this whole study, some of this might go over your head. It's fine. So just as Naomi was introduced to Boaz and redeemed through Ruth, well, Israel is redeemed through the mercy of the church. What are we talking about? Turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. All right, verses one and two. I say then, Paul teaches, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel? And, and, then, and then so, basically the point here is that God has not cast away Israel. Look at verses 25 and 26. I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part into Israel until of the Gentiles comes in. Okay, so blindness is what? In part until a certain time. So God isn't done with the nation of Israel. He wants to redeem Israel back to himself, but Israel is blinded for a minute. Okay? Now, that's just for 
Look at verses 29 through 36. You guys, now if you can understand this, it's going to help you understand your entire New Testament. Uh, verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may also obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Okay, did blindness happen in part or in whole to the nation of Israel? In part. Yet God concluded them all blind so that he could have mercy. So here's how it went. Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. He came to the Jews, the Jews did not receive him. But as many as believed on him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's that's the church. Now, all Israel shall be saved. That's going to come through the mercy of the church. Now, I'm going to just plug our next Israel series that we're going to start December 3rd. We're going to start an Israel series. We're going to explain these things. So the nation of Israel became a nation again because Christian nations promoted it, allowed it. After winning World War II, to make that happen. But then the 1967 war was coming, and it's only through evangelical Christians around the world that Israel was able to arm herself and win that war in six days because, okay, right now in the world, oh my goodness, so much anti Semitism friend of Israel in the world right now. It's Bible-believing Christians. Like, it is amazing that Hamas can come in and cut the heads off babies, and then the result of that around the world is people are mad at the people whose babies got their heads cut off. If you come in and cut the heads off my babies, I'm going to get mad at the oh my goodness can you believe that the only so, so anyway we'll we'll be looking at that in this next section now i'm all mad now i'm preaching mad okay pray for me why are we talking about israel church well because of the picture with naomi and ruth and you see god you you see god's pattern throughout the stories in the bible okay Letter B, Ruth did not replace Naomi, just like the church has not replaced Israel. We just saw that. God is not done with, with Israel uh, yet. Now, there are people out there that are trying to make this case. Here's what they say. Just take the word Israel in your New Testament, draw a line through it, and just write church next to it. Okay, so go to the next slide for me. Uh, go on. Okay. Replacement theology. I say then, have God cast away his people? God forbid. Oh, yes, he has cast away his people. Okay. Not that like they're any worse than anyone else, maybe, but they're not special. They're not any different. Okay. For I also am I'm a Christian. So this is what this is what replacement theology says is, and they wouldn't they wouldn't actually do this. They would say is the the only people who are important, who are saved in the church, whether they come from Jew or Gentile. 
But then they say, God, there's no redemption of the, the nation of Israel nationally. Okay, the problem with is that the Bible teaches there is a national redemption. We just read about it. All Israel shall be saved. Okay. Um, so we'll be looking at that in this next series. Go to the next slide for me, because this is telling. The Danish Bible Society has decided Israel from your New Testament. So everywhere where the New Testament says Israel, they replace it with us or with the church. Okay. You can believe whatever you want, but when you start changing the words of God, what is the motivation for that? Oh my goodness, can you believe that? That's their 20 uh, Bible. You can find that online and read about that. They're not apologetic about it. They're like, yeah, we just want to be real careful to separate out the Israel today, which is the Israel of the Old Testament that actually had a covenant relationship with God. Because God's done with Israel. Like this is where replacement theology leads if people follow it through. So anyway, so we've got Ruth. As... Well, I, I'm, biblically, I would tremble to take a Sharpie to my Bible and come up with my own version. I think Revelation has something to say about adding to and taking away from the world. Right, right. And it, you'll find something. Okay, so I'm a medical doctor. So I'll get patients that come to me. And they'll be like, I you're a good doctor. <laughs> and then my red flag go up. Because here's what always follows. I've been to six doctors, and they all tell me the same thing. <laughs> what are they looking for? They're looking for someone who's going to tell them what they want to hear, not what the test shows, what the scale shows, <laughs> not what the chart, not what the lab shows. They they want to hear what they want to hear. And so I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm a horrible doctor. Like, you do not want to come to me. You want to go see someone else. Same thing. You can find a Bible now that will tell you anything you want to hear. Go find some gay Bible or something that <clears throat> will change the word of God to suit your fancy. So anyway, hang on. You're going to make me all mad again. Okay, so so letter C, doctrinally, God used Ruth in this story mightily. We see that. So God uses the local church to accomplish his purposes. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, which is all about the church. Okay. Uh, we're not going to turn there just for the sake of time, but it is the church that God is using to manifest his grace, his love throughout the world. So last letter and under doctrine here, the church is a group of people. The church is not a building you go to, you walk into a building once a week, and then God's like, good job. Building's not a service you attend once a week. The church is a what? It's a body. It's a group of people. The church is a called out assembly. It is a group of people. You are the church. I, we are the church gathered together in this place. And so if God, this is where it gets funny. It's like God uses the local church and everyone's like, amen. And it's like, you are the local church. People are like, eh, like, you know, the game's on today. 
Ruth just lived her life and, and, and she was just making decisions based on, on, on the data she had to try to be right with God, right? We see that the Bible calls her virtuous. But here's what I think of is, is that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Man, I think about that and I think about Ruth and all she was doing was was trying to make good decisions and, and I'm sure she didn't do it perfectly. She probably wasn't a perfect mom because there's no such thing. And she wasn't a perfect wife because there's no such thing. But in the end, at the great reveal, God's like, look, when the books are opened, your story was, was part of establishing. Look, before you ever came along, Ruth, I had this plan. Okay. And, and you were part of it. And you thought you were just living your life, but you were actually helping to establish this kingdom. Okay, so personal application. Our lives are part of a bigger story. If you're born again, all things are passed away and you're a new creature in Christ. Okay, so letter B. Thank the Lord he uses refugees, widows. Thank God he uses women. He uses castaways. Man, I'm so grateful God uses poor people or rich people, young people, old people, destitute people, scared people, Naomi, bitter people. Like, like God can, like in, just in this little four chapter book, Can God use single people? Can God use remarried people? And look at Ruth. Look at her story. We're not given everything that Ruth did wrong. We're not. Ruth was never told to get your act together, but she just simply let her life be part of what God was doing. What about people with immorality in their past? You know who? You know who? Uh, this guy was married to. Anybody? Christine, you know. Who was he married to? Rahab. You married Rahab? Yeah, let me tell you about my son named Boaz. Yeah, let me tell you what God has done. Let me talk about redemption. Let me talk to you about grace. What a testimony to God's grace. Right? Can God use someone who used to have an immor immoral, immoral past? Yeah, the book. Yeah, everybody. So, so I'm so thankful that our lives got to be a part of, our lives can be a part of his program. Now, let her see our lives should end like Ruth's. Okay, at the end of the story, here's this genealogy. Ruth got to be a part of establishing a kingdom. And so from us practically, let's look at some verses. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses nine. So we've got a whole bunch on here. So go to the next slide for me. Second Corinthians five, nine through 21. We're going to read like three or four things here. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, 
we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Go on. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. Okay, so, so here Paul is, is talking about laboring for the Lord because we're going to give an answer someday. In the great reveal, okay? For whether we be beside ourselves, whether we're crazy, it is to God, or whether we be sober, or cause for the love of Christ constraineth us. Here's the key verse. We are motivated by love to do. So if I'm up here being crazy, being mad, well, it's because I've got a man. Okay. If I'm being sober, everything Paul does, he says, he's doing it for their sake, motivated by love. Okay. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. Nobody's going to glory in the flesh. We're all, we were all dead. Now we're all made alive. We were all in sin. Now we're in Christ, right? Amen. One hero of our stories. Who is it? <laughs> it's not me. It's not you. So we can just let that go and just glory in Christ. Okay. And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him, which again. Okay. Next. Wherefore, henceforth we know no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, all things are passed away, behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself, and hath given to us, what? Yeah, so it's like, hey, Jesus reconciled you. Now, you are to be a reconciler not that you can die on the cross for someone else's sin, but we can, in Christ's stead, say, be ye reconciled unto God. That's gone. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Job of being a part of reconcil reconciling, this is the word of reconciliation that you've been given to perform a job. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And you're only here to run your little embassy, which is your life, as an ambassador to be a reconciler. You guys with me so far? There is a kingdom that you are a part of. You're an ambassador. You're a reconciler. And your life needs to play out to where in the end you will have helped establish the kingdom. Now you're motivated by what? You're motivated by love. Love of God constraineth us. So here's this kingdom, this, this, this kingdom that God has that we are supposed to be a part of. Now we already looked at 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 5, but let's look at it again. Okay, don't give heed to fabulous. Don't listen to endless genealogies. A lot of, they'll try to promote themselves like, well, I'm a direct descendant of Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, 
whoever, constant, like whoever, like they try to make a big deal of who they are in the flesh. They miss the whole picture because the end of the commandment is charity. Charity is another word for love. Okay, let's go on. Next verse. For God so, what? Loved the world that gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you have everlasting life? If you do, it's because God loved you. Now, how do we know God loves you? Oh, here perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And that love that we receive turn us into people who love others. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Talking about a group of people gathered to do what God has called us to do, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies, as God gifted us, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. First John chapter 4, 7 through 21 is all about love, but we'll just look at two verses. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In the end, when everything else hey, thank you, Lord. Like, we're going to suffer some loss at the judgment seat, but at least we're going to be shiny. Finally, the sin issue once and for all, and what's going to be left, God is love. The kingdom which he established by love is going to be left. Okay, one more, one more verse. Song of Solomon. Who's read Song of Solomon? It's a, it's a little, it's a, it's a different book. It's not linear. It's a series of, of stories about a, um, this guy who's like working out in the vineyard, the shepherd boy. Okay. And there's this, the Shulamite. Okay. And she falls for this shepherd boy. And they, 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 have, they have a romance. They fall in love with each other. And then the shepherd boy leaves. And like, she's like, oh, my shepherd is gone. And she's all sad. Okay. What's of course, like, but then King Solomon comes to the country. And King Solomon's coming to pick a wife. And King Solomon steps out of his, his chariot thing. It's the shepherd boy. The shepherd who won the maiden's heart is actually the returning king, and it's the same guy. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe that? You need to take LFBI. I'll explain the whole thing. But this is the end of the Song of Solomon. No, go back. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me, she says. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. So he's got a vineyard that he's leasing out, and there's pictures, a double entendre there, but that's okay. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hear thy voice. 
cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountain of spices. Okay, how does this play into our study? Okay, go to the next slide for me. This word beloved, so I've, I've got the Strong's numbers, the Hebrew's numbers up here on the slide. Beloved in Hebrew is this word. Okay, figuratively, it means to love. A love token, a lover, a friend, an uncle. So it's not just sexual love, but but here's this. Now, now listen, don't miss it. What's the word for love? It's not the only word in Hebrew for love. In Hebrew, it's the same word. David means lover, means love. It's from the same root word as love. So this kingdom of David, which established by Ruth, it's the literally the kingdom of love. Just for us, clearly, our job as New Testament believers is to invest in eternal things to bring about God's kingdom. We are ambassadors. We've been given a ministry, and here's the key. You guys ready? I'll wrap it up with this. I can take life that we know about, okay? I could find this little spot in what God was doing from Adam to Jesus, and I could place Ruth right there in God's plan. I can see how Ruth fits into God's plan. You know what I can't do? I can't take everything that God is doing and just add it to Ruth's life. Okay, God is not asking you to add his mission for the world to your life. Okay, so, so here's Ruth. Okay, and here's her car. Ruth has a car. Okay, and here's her pet kitty cat. She likes kitty cats. Okay, and here's her job. Ruth, Ruth's got money. She's got a great job. Oh, and here's her relationship with this guy and and then has all these things in her life but then now she wants to like make sure she's going to heaven so she's going to add god's mission to everything else in her life is that what god's calling her to is that what happened in this story no listen we get it backwards ruth needs to take her life and say god my life, I'm going to add it to your mission. Now, she still has a car. She still has a relationship and her horrible cat, and she's got a good job. But, but what happens now, Ruth adds everything she is to God's plan. Okay, don't add God to your life. Add your life to God's mission. Does this make sense? So here's the prayer. God, here I am. Here's take my life, use it as you see fit to establish your kingdom. And God, best I know how, I'm still just going to go to work tomorrow. But God, I'm going as an ambassador for Christ and you have the right to use me as you see fit. And we let our integrity and our virtue, what we know about God's word, we let that guide us. We follow the Holy Spirit. And then in the end, someday, you're going to get there. 
books are going to be opened. And what you really want is your life to have been part. Now, I don't know that you're going to get your own book, except Mark. Okay. You guys following me? God's got a plan. I want to be part of it. That's that's what I want to do with my life. That's then someone talking me in to go into Costa discipleship class. That's different than than someone talking me into signing up for ministry. No, no, no. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in my life. Now, if you need help with that, that's that's what we're here for. That's what I'm here for. Let me help you. Figure out how to navigate. Figure out how to move forward in that. But why don't we take just a few minutes and, and just uh, together we'll be one big group. Then we'll dismiss here in five minutes. And then if you need to pray with someone or if you've got kind of ongoing discussions, things you're working through, hopefully you'll have a few minutes to do that also. But yes, Keith. Obviously, Jesse was not sitting around like you know, when did the book of Ruth get published where people Yeah. Yeah, so they didn't read about it. Probably the book of Ruth was written by Samuel. Okay, so that is early years. That we don't know. The Bible doesn't say, so we don't know. But if you had to speculate, probably most conservative Bible scholars say is probably Samuel that wrote the book of Ruth. Now, the story would have been there. They were talking about Ruth. By Ruth chapter 2, Boaz is like, oh, yeah, I know about you. Everyone's talking about you. Everyone knows you're virtuous. So the, the, the it's like small town. Everybody knows everything about everybody. So they would have been not in story form necessarily like, but it would have been like, hey, can you tell me about Grandma Ruth again? Can you tell me about how the, you know, like that happens in families. But first, but Samuel probably wrote it. So those would have been those years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he would have known the, the whole story. I don't know how old anybody was. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on adding your life to God's mission instead of just trying to add? When, when we witness to the Hindus, they'll say yes to Jesus. And then they'll take Jesus, they'll take a picture of Jesus and they'll put it up. Like you think you want him to Christ. And they'll take that picture of Jesus and they'll put it right up on their wall, right next to the picture of all their other gods. Okay, so when I teach in LFBI in, in the book of Ezekiel, I've got a slide that, that shows that. There's the snake god, you know, and they've got all their different 
Hindu gods, and then they'll have a statue of Jesus and Mary right next to it. And they're just, they're just covering all their bases. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not Jesus. Just add him to your life like one more thing. You, you can get saved and you can live like that. The problem is it's that you're kind of being Orpah or the nearer kinsman. And you're not letting, not going through those steps of knowing him as more companion. So, yeah. All right, let's pray. And then if you guys need to pray in your small groups, then, um, or visit in your small groups, if you have ongoing discussions, counseling, that sort of thing, go ahead and, and do that. So, Father, we love you. God, we don't want to just like add religion to our lives and check off a box and then have a, a life which is frustrating. And, and in the end, when the book is open, we're ashamed. God, we want our lives to, to be like Ruth, that that when we get there, that, that we added our lives to your mission. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here that, that there'll be a genealogy. God, that at, at the end, that we will have helped establish the kingdom of love, the 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 kingdom, part of what you're doing, and God, the the fact that you could just take people like us, and then allow us that privilege, that ministry, to be ambassadors for you, um, Lord, that's a high calling. But God, I do thank you that you use broken people. Help us to be broken in the right way, surrendered to you and uh usable so god if we're not usable then we just ask you to our hearts and minds to get us that way uh, we love you lord we thank you we pray these things in jesus name amen